Hello and welcome to Adam vs. the Man on today, Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Hope you're doing well. Amidst all the craziness happening in the world today, we got a lot of headlines to get to today, but most importantly, the name of today's show is Emotional Freedom. And this is really one of my favorite sections in the book. We're going to get to this Adam's story time at the end of the show today. We're going to connect that to current events as well. We got such a great reception to the uh, segment we did last week on choose ha- or how to choose happiness. It was, it was based on the section in the book called Happiness Causes Freedom, and we connected it to current events and to a lot of practical applications of that, modern technology, scientific understanding of uh, mental health and things like that. So today we're going to get into emotional freedom directly. CJ, don't let me go over time with all these awesome headlines you've got piled up for us today. We're also, I, I don't know if CJ has any other producer notes. I think the only one today is that we're also streaming live through Patreon and you can join us eventually. It looks like that's where we're going. That We're going to be like, this is, this is how we escape the censorship, the freaking crappy censorship of, I, I don't know, can I have more, like, dumb, fake curse words? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm never going to get good at that. I'm never, I like, in the, in the Marines, they, at one point, they told the drill instructors you couldn't say the F word. So they got really good and aggressive saying frick and friggin'. And uh, I, I kind of internalized that, but I, I wish I could curse like uh, like Ned Flanders or or like the Mormons and have uh, or, or or like the gangsters in the old timey movies. You know, you watch those and you're like, wait, wait a second, hey Muggsy, why don't you go take a jump in a lake? Uh, what? Uh, I don't think that's how they spoke. And you know, I, I'm grateful. I am so grateful that I have an amazing team behind this show right now, that we have Jim, common Jim Freedom, appearing right over there. Yeah, look at that. And we have CJ making everything happen from behind the scenes. And we have you, a beautiful, active, and engaged audience, to make this show possible by supporting us on Patreon, Super Chats on YouTube. Although, if you didn't, we're, we're going to make it quick today with the intro, but if you didn't catch it yesterday, we we took like way too long getting into all the organizational behind-the-scenes stuff, but especially for those of you who are joining us on Patreon today, thank you very much. And for those of you on Periscope and Facebook and YouTube, don't worry. Comment Jim Freedom behind the scenes is watching all of your comments in the backstage comment aggregator through StreamYard. Jim? I see all. Like, for example, Community London. Hey, Adam, tuned in from UK. That's on Periscope. That's oh, right. Periscope oh, I love those. Yeah, from UK. Dude, yeah, no, I, I love that. You know, see, this is, I think, one of the things that, you know, is unique about my worldview that among libertarians that I like to share and spread, and it's that, that global awareness. You know, when you, when you reject nationalism, and, and that really is an essential part of applied libertarianism, right? And you get past 
Well, I, I shouldn't love people uh, more because they were born on my side of my government's territorial border and seeing the world as, as a, a, you know, it, like it says in, in the book, team people, go team people. But the, the, the whole human family, and that, that uh, if America is, you know, something that is righteous and tied to what it means to be human and to be free, then well, I'm the biggest American imperialist in the world. The whole world should become America. But we, we have to figure out how to do it right first. So, yeah, that global awareness. Yesterday, the contest was who was listening from furthest away. Did we verify our Taiwan viewer? Uh, that would be – well, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. That We told that viewer to contact producer at the Freedom Line, so we would have to ask CJ if they contacted him. But for future contests, we now have the brand-new official Jim at thefreedomline.com. So All you right. can go ahead and email that. And with any of your contests to verify and anything that goes through me, you can just go directly to me instead of going through CJ to help help lighten some of CJ's load, you know. Uh, I was thinking of one more thing for a contest, too, other than the locations. We could come up with random trivia. Uh, for example, what did we name our geodesic chair that we built, the Papasan chair? You know what I mean? That's, what, that's almost too easy to look up. It has I was, to be yeah, that's why it was an example. Of not but if we could come up with something else, like uh, what's the name of the mountain in the background of our property to the east or something? That's a good one. Well, yeah, because if you you could look that up, but it would be a it would, that would be a treasure hunt. Right. So check this out. While you're writing on that board, really quick, uh, I wanted to tell a story. It almost kind of relates. Yes, there we go. Please. Official. Email this. At Jim at thefreedomline.com. All right. Yes. Uh, real quick, though, I just wanted to tell you, I was kind of excited to tell you about this. Uh, my mom talked to me this morning and said she had a dream about you last night. She said it was really weird. She said, you know, she's watched a few of your shows, so she thinks that's why it was. But she said what was weird about it was I wasn't there. My dad wasn't there. Nobody else she knew was there. She said the world was just burning, and there were buildings falling down everywhere, and she got trapped into one of these buildings, and she felt scared, and it was horrible, until all of a sudden Adam was standing above her, reaching down, saying, please, let me help you out of here. And she was so relieved, and you grabbed her out, right? But there was another guy there next to her, and he said, come on, let's go. And the guy literally says, no, I don't believe in you, like that. And you said, I don't care, you're a human being, get out of here. And you end up helping him out. And, like, you were running around frantically pulling people out of these buildings as they're falling and stuff. And she said that was, that was pretty much the end of the dream. She didn't know why, but, like, she felt better, and you were out there just pulling people out of the rubble. I was like, man, that's symbolic on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Jim. And, and tell your mom, thank you. She wants to write that up somehow. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to share it. And, you know, I, I'm I'm honored, in, in you know, in, to be to – be, you know, in someone's psyche and, and recognized as someone, I, you know, I, this is like you're you're tempting me with a savior complex here, right? You know, like, yeah, that's I, kind I, of but, dangerous. What's that? I, yeah, I said, yeah, that's kind of a dangerous line to walk, but I think yeah. I think you can handle it. Well, no, I, 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 oh, I know I can because I don't I don't have any delusions uh, about 
what's going on in the world or what's possible or my own potential role in it or, or, or what makes me special as someone who's got, you know, a certain history and has figured out certain things and can articulate that in a way to show the way forward in this one dimension of the human experience that I think is most important. But th this analogy in the dream, pulling people out of collapsing buildings. I mean, wow, like that's, I, I, and right away, I want to say, like, I'm not special. It's not like, hey, Adam versus, like, right away, obviously, interpreting the metaphor, uh, there's, you know, maybe that was her vision from where she was because she saw me as the one pulling her out. I would just immediately say there's an army of us first responders. And I've used the analogy of, you know, a doctor with an accident on the side of the road, right? Like, if, if you, that's what it's, it's like to be a libertarian. And it, it's not a perfect analogy, obviously. And I use this to say, like, man, be more involved, right? Like, if I, because the, the, the analogy that I used to use in, like, all of my, you know, a lot of tour speeches was, if you're a doctor and you, you, you come on an accident on the side of the road, and there's a dozen people bleeding out, bleeding to death, like slowly bleeding to death, or dying from traumatic injury. And if you jump in and you go and you put hands on and you, you start, you know, saving people, you might save one or two, but the rest are going to die. But if you instead, you go to traffic, you go, you go into the road and say, hey, I need help. I need more hands. I can't do this on my own. I, I, you don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a trained professional. You just need hands. And go and, and put hands on these people who are bleeding and stop the bleeding, and less people will die if we as libertarians are able to recruit more people to the cause and to become repeaters of this message. And that's a little morbid. It's a little narrow, right? It, it has some – There's. It, it's – it's certainly, I think, effective. It's effective for me to be like, yeah, if, you know, inherently being a good Samaritan. And, you know, Tim, we haven't done any tours together yet, but uh, for people like Eden and, and Zach Foster and uh, people who have gone on tours with me before, they know that when you're on the road that much, you see accidents. And I'm a first responder. And I mean that in, in the most direct sense of the word, not like a professional or technical sense. I'm not, you know, professional. I'm not paid. You're going to respond. Exactly. And I have, you know, I, I have tended to people next to dying bodies. I have helped people, uh, you know, have a smoother transition from their scene of the accident to getting to an ambulance. Uh, I have helped, you, you know, uh, diffuse tense situations to de-escalate conflicts between drivers. And it's just kind of a mentality. This is one thing I I, I love about the military. And I, I hate to say this, but and, and it's really not the military itself so much as part of that pure intent that a lot of us join the military with of wanting to serve and wanting to help and saying, well, someone's got to risk their life to, to Save people, well, I'll, I'll do it, sure, I'll sign up. And in the Marines, I know in the other branches, although to a lesser extent because they're not as cool, 
Uh, but in the Marines, certainly with all the, the, the teamwork training and, you know, sense of responsibility for what's going on around you and a sense of awareness and, uh, you know, a good Samaritan attitude. I mean, that's what it is. And I hate to use the, the, the Christian reference because that's also kind of inadequate, but being, being a first responder. And having that mentality, and really, you know, being an activist, someone motivated by a deep-seated sense of injustice. You see something wrong in the world, you want to fix it. You see suffering, and you want to alleviate it. And so, you know, I'm, I think maybe with what I'm doing now, it's more articulatable as pulling people out of a collapsing building right now. It's, it's more clear to say, look, the, the world that you know, and right now, like, it's crumbling. I mean, man, I almost made this t- today's show about the uh, the dollar collapse. Uh, that, that, like, you know, I've, we've been watching this. We've been following this and going, hey, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is the time. You know, there's a lot, like, anyway. But there are, there are, I mean, you, you obviously, Corona, Black Lives Matter, all the economic stuff around both of those. Uh, manufactured crises right now, the failures in infrastructure that are, you know, just starting. Well, I shouldn't say just starting. I mean, we had uh, the food supply chain kind of uh, start to scare people when when they saw, you know, thousands of tons of onions rotting on the side of the road because it was no longer profitable to move them anywhere. And you're like, whoa, and, and you know, nobody's starving. But, you know, there's there have been some glitches in the matrix. Yeah. You know, is the system collapsing? Is it a, is it a building falling down that you want to be pulled from? I mean, in a sense, yeah, obviously it's more metaphorical in terms of what I what my pinned tweet says right now, right? I'm leading the most important march ever for freedom out of the cities and into the woods where there's plenty of freedom to go around. And even that's not entirely literal. You know, it's not go from a city to, to a forest. It's go from an unconscientious, thoughtless, mainstream dictated for you, laid out by expectations and social pressures and bullying and expectation and all of the social engineers who want you to be conditioned to be a good little cog in the machine kind of lifestyle versus a fully conscientious lifestyle where you reconsider everything from the ground up based on your values, based on what you want to do to live a better life. And in terms of homesteading or reconsidering your living situation, that doesn't necessarily mean live, leaving a city. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good exception. You know, I mean, if you have an urban garden plot or you're able to live in a city where you, you don't have to pay taxes that contribute to the evil of the state and you're able to, you know, do, you, know you have the space to do these things that you can't do living in an apartment, probably, right? Although you can get most of the way there and still, I mean, he's right. You can, like, and, and I don't suggest any absolutism here, like to become a yogi on a hill or some kind of Buddhist monk ascetic or something like that, uh, it's a matter of degrees and, 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 you know, conscientiousness. But you cannot live in an apartment in a city 
and not pay taxes that end up contributing to the military-industrial complex, to the surveillance state, to the police state, to all the greatest evils of government. You're going to pay rent. It's going to be on paper. You're going to pay for utilities. It's going to be probably to a government agency or a government-granted, monopolistic, whatever, privileged company. You're going to pay regular you're going to pay for all of the privileges of of that city government in city taxes one way or another and you can opt out of a lot of that you can live in a city and work under the table for example you can at least not pay the income tax you can convert all of what you earn under the table from u.s dollars to cryptocurrency or metals right away and at least uh you know not be paying uh, the inflation tax that way there are a lot of things you can do but really yeah, out of the cities into the woods does kind of sum it up. Out of the collapsing building to safety, right? Yeah. Yeah, seems legit. That's a good metaphor, I think. It's you explained it pretty well, but yeah, that's the that's the idea. I I, I could say as you were thinking uh, when you were talking about the part of. Uh, getting other people to help you at the crash site. I was thinking, well, where was I in this dream? Uh, I think I was visiting my daughter and her mother, and I was saving them out of their buildings on that part. Yes, of it. yes. <laughs> I was yes. in another part of the world saving somebody else. So you had to. Uh, I, I really appreciate you looking after my mom, though. <laughs> oh well, someone's got. Hey, as long as I don't have any kids, I got to pull out. I mean, I, yeah, I'm already at. We're we here at the Garden of Freedom are about as far out of that collapsing building of society as you could possibly get. Uh, I mean, you go to Antarctica, I will, uh, well, to be fair, the United, you want to, oh, man, you really want to pick apart this metaphor, see how it applies. You know, we're, we're still in the United States for now, although soon we will be a sovereign nation here at, with, with our 10 acres as a, as a micro nation. And, uh, but, but even then, you know, we're going to be surrounded by the United States territory and maybe, maybe, you know, and, and maybe this is, uh, this should be our contest for today. Again, for our, maybe this is, uh, this is like almost excluding our domestic listeners. Actually, they're all foreign. If, if, if we're sovereign, but we're not yet. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of want to say like, what's, what's the, you know, is America as as the like you know the the you know we we I've talked about this before like you know America has the, the the seat of the empire of of the power today and that you know it's the dollar empire and that as as U.S. citizens you have certain privileges and, and you are a kind of protected class in in the general government racket where you profit as a, as a citizen from the exploitation of other countries around the world through the U.S. government and foreign policy, corporatism, especially free, free trade deals, you know, obviously negotiated government-managed trade deals to favor some at the expense of others. Uh, but, yeah, is, is, you know, well, what about China? China is also a significant you know, empire, if, if you will. Um, now, Hong Kong, the Uyghurs, Tibet, the South China Sea, 
all, you know, all of these things that you say, well, it's, it's China. Well, is Tibet really part of China? You know, isn't that a distinct sort of national identity? Maybe when we go back to the United States, well, what about Florida? Florida, man, those people are definitely different than the rest of us. And, you know, if they want to be their own country, like, I'm, I'm okay with that. California, the Calexit movement, right? Texas, the great republic of Texas, steers and queers. Yeah, you can have your own country. Uh, <clears throat> I'll have mine here, too. I'm, I'm, everybody should have their own country if they want and be able to create new ones. That's the idea with, with this. But, Jim, can you, can you turn this into a contest for today, perhaps? Uh, geez, I, I'm not sure. I got a, a, one thing I want to address before I forget. Sketchy Plainsman is a little bit confused. They're thinking I'm the guest for today. They're saying the guest needs to say more than just uh, nodding and stuff. Ah. So they, they need to understand I'm not the guest. I'm on the show oh, every day. You always let your guests talk funny, yeah. They'll be here all show long watching your comments. Me with Jim, aside from your mom's wonderful dream, do we have any hot comments before we jump into the headlines today? He points out that this baby in the background is just staring at the screen and they might be creeping people out. <laughs> what was that? There was a baby doll right here in this ah. Somebody noticed and they said it was just staring at them. <laughs> I moved it for them. Sorry, distraction. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, th I'll think of a contest. Uh, I wanted to ask CJ if our contest winner yesterday uh, contacted us or not. Because if not, then we need to pick the next person down the list to be the winner, I think, right? Or just do it again today. Man. Yeah, we can do it again today. Let's make that the contest again today. Uh, what, do you want to make it the closest or the farthest? Let's go with the farthest again. We didn't we didn't verify the farthest last time. so. True. Okay, yep. Okay, so everyone comment where you're watching from, and uh, the farthest person watching wins access into the Telegram Producers Club chat. So you can Which you can also get by becoming a Patreon supporter for $10 a month at patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. What do we yeah, have on screen? If you like in a no contest, you can just do that for sure. <laughs> Point of inquiry from Joey Lee, G.I. Jane. Point of inquiry, why haven't either of you taken the pledge at platoon420.com yet? Oh, I, I don't know. I did not. I was unaware that there was a pledge there. Let me pull it up. Platoon420.com. Is it like a pledge to smoke weed every day? Because I, I am, like, totally living up to that one already. That'd be easy, yeah. Take the wait, pledge. Wait, and by weed, I mean... Um, something that's not cannabis because uh, I don't want to trigger the YouTube censors. We don't talk about anything controversial on this show. <laughs> we don't even talk about consuming drugs. I know drug consumption is one of those things that'll. Wait a second. If one of the community guidelines is you can't talk about controversial issues. Does that mean that you're not allowed to talk about the community guidelines on YouTube? That's mm. very controversial issue. The first rule of YouTube community guidelines is you do not talk about, talk about community, community guidelines. guidelines. That's got to be the answer because that's the only explanation. Because that's a good point. Very controversial. They say, they say drug use, and I don't think I don't think YouTube differentiates. 
it's such a dumb thing that like corporate America, because the drug war has this extra incentive to scrub clean anything it puts money onto or adds onto. If I was drinking so, coffee, that's drug use. Right. No, and it's funny. They promote, well, cigarettes, it's like cigarettes are, are the, of the, of the three big legal drugs, right? Caffeine, alcohol, nicotine. Tobacco is the most demonized. And, I mean, it's funny, and it's the, it's, I don't know if it's more or less harmful than alcohol. This is an interesting question. I've never just weighed this out, because you can go, well, deaths from smoking versus deaths from alcohol. But you have to factor in so many other things to say, like, which is more dangerous? And I think that everyone's physiology is different. So I think to really answer the question, which one is more dangerous, it depends on the individual. Some people's body can handle smoke more than it can handle alcohol. No, of course. We're not talking about judging individuals here, but we're talking about, you know, the, the YouTube censorship of drug use and corporate scrubbing of anything that, you know, like you can't, I think well, it was for a long time you could you could put uh, cigarettes in movies, right? And man, when I was when I was a regular smoker, like when I got back from Iraq, and I like and, I, and then I quit, and I saw someone smoking in a movie, dude, it would trigger me. And I don't, I and I, I mean that like in this literal sense, like I, it was an involuntary. Like nicotine is definitely the most addictive, but that was it would really. Like, I, when I say trigger, I mean set off a chemical craving. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's how much nicotine messes with your brain. I think caffeine is understudied for its harmful effects. Uh, I think there are a lot of people, a lot of Karens out there running around over-caffeinated. Uh, if you were in our Telegram group chat today, I think it was Kareem. Somebody shared this video of a guy going to this, uh, well, he was, it was a black dude who apparently a white woman driving flipped him off and then cut him off and then brake checked him and then tried to get away and he followed her home to call her out. And, and I'm like, it's a 14 minute video. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm watching the whole thing. But yeah, I have to, you know, when I see stuff like that, anyway, the woman went and, and I'm like, you know, why would you, why would you even make a big deal out of it? Apparently, she called him the N-word and some other racial epithet, and it was like, oh, well, racist road rage Karen is going to get called out here. I'm going to follow her to her apartment building, and I'm going to put my, my camera in, in front of her and, and confront her and get her license plate number. And apparently, she broke down. Like, you watch the video. And by the way, the only way to get access to this video is to sign up for our Patreon $10 a month and become a member of the Producers Club. And then she will add you to our behind-the-scenes chat there. So the uh, she broke down crying. Like, he turns to the camera and goes, here's her license plate number. This woman's wearing a glasses and a surgical mask. And uh, and gloves. She's wearing gloves. Who are these people? And she's, she got out of her car. Like, this isn't, like, the coronaphobia crisis was a giant IQ test. And a lot of people straight up failed. And this Karen is one of them. 
If you are driving around by yourself in your car with a mask and gloves on, you fail the IQ test of the coronavirus. Like, sorry, no, clearly not. We minus. Yeah, yeah. You should probably not be allowed to drive. Like, if if you're, and and you know this this little video like just kind of connected all these issues for me. And I was, it's been a while since I've watched like dumb street confrontation videos at all. You know, I'm so hyper into, I got to process as much news as I can every day. Like, all I do is read articles. I, I almost never watch videos. I watch more videos, like, about homesteading construction stuff where, like, you know, you have to see the visual. The street confrontation stuff, even then, like, times when I have stuff pulled up for the show, I'll read the story attached to it and be like, yeah, I'll watch the video for the show uh, on the air for the first time. Like, I don't need to sit there and watch it. It's almost like I need, or if I do, I'll be reading something else at the same time. But this one, I just sat there and watched. And I was like, what is going on? Is this like, and other people show up. And it, do we want to pull this up? No, we'll, we'll leave it to people to be, it's just this dumb, it's a dumb video. And it's 14 minutes. And I feel dumb for having watched the whole thing, but I want to like, I want to say why. I want to like examine this for a second. Like, why did I, watch this whole thing. Well, other people showed up, right? Other people, like, cause he's, so he gets out of his car and he starts filming her. She's parked, like, in, a, in her driveway, it looks like, and she gets out and starts screaming, not angry, like, scared, screaming, losing, and says he's attacking her. And I'm like, oh, so this is why crime is high among black people, right? Because of Karen's. Because of Karen's. And then she goes, you're assaulting me. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, he just, he's filming her. And he goes, all right, everybody, look, I got, I got her license plate number. And it's clear. He's got it. He's got it on screen. He's got it clear as day. And she goes from the side of her car, you know, and it's just like 10 feet. But, okay, CJ's got it pulled up. Just skip CJ's. Okay, so this is it. So I'll, I'll just keep talking because you'll see the part in just a few seconds that I'm describing here. So she gets, there she is, in her car with masks and gloves. And you go, this is, this is not just a, and, and like, this is a, this is someone right away, like, you know, he wants you to think of her as the victimizer, right? And I'm thinking, holy shit, I feel sorry for this woman. Like, yeah, I feel sorry for the dude, too. And I feel sorry for every black person in America who, as a result of this craziness, faces very real racism and, and, and meaningful discrimination every day in this country. And, and everybody who suffers because of Karens like this. But what made a Karen like this? This isn't natural. Yeah. People don't act like this without other forces from the outside manipulating the situation. Now, the reason I'm going with this, why am I making an example out of this little video, right? Like this this little incident where basically nothing happened, right? And, and right, and even from the beginning, I'm like, you know what? I, I can't put myself in a black dude's shoes getting, you know, getting yelled, racial right. slurs at, and, and being threatened, essentially, with a vehicle, the way, you know, being cut off and being brake checked. You know, you, you I know it's it's petty, 
We're like, no, you're you're screwing around with vehicle safety now and making you know racial insults. Okay, I can call her out. Yeah, I see it. You know, if I was in that guy's shoes, yeah, I would probably do the same thing. I guess if I wasn't on the way to work or an important meeting or something, right? So we pulled over to try to hold this woman accountable. And look at her now. She's cowering. This is after her license plate has been recorded. Right. She's cowering. She is, like, curled up in front of her rear license plate trying to shield it. And the dude backs off. He's talking about Okay, so the reason I'm, I think this is worth talking about is because when the people show up on the scene, they all act like this is relatively normal, right? Okay, a woman wearing masks and gloves cowering at the back of her car, a black dude recording her on, on his cell phone. Like, welcome to the new normal, people. It's ugly. It's still it's still really ugly. You know? <laughs> um And and just talking about legal drugs reminded me of this. And it's not just caffeine, nicotine, alcohol. Is this woman drunk? Well, maybe. A little early, it looks like. Uh, Has she been smoking cigarettes? Maybe. Nicotine usually doesn't impact behavior as significantly as caffeine does, though, right? If it energizes you, if it makes you neurotic, it could make you more prone to emotional outbursts. It could make you more likely to just lose your cool. But you know what? I'm get, so so. I see this and I go, ah, drugs are involved. And you know, is it is it caffeine, nicotine, alcohol? Is it government? Is it the worst drug of all? The most destructive? status injection of propaganda and lies and misinformation that leads this woman to the point of a breakdown. You think about this. Someone who's scared enough to believe the coronaphobia hype enough to drive around by herself with gloves and a mask on. Would that be enough to do it? Maybe. And you got you guys are going, Adam, Adam, that's not it. There's something. Yeah, there is. Pharmaceuticals. How much do you want to bet this woman's on Paxil, Zoloft, Prozac, some other antidepressant, SSRI, mood stabilizer, some kind of pharmaceutical psych- psychotropic medication? And, you know, that, you know, in a way... I feel I've you know I've been a victim in my life more than I've been a victimizer. The time I've, I was a victimizer most poignantly for me was torturing people in Iraq. Now, a relatively minor incident, just following orders, guarding detainees. But as a victimizer, having been fooled into being a puppet. You know, under some kind of mind control by some exploitive authority, that was worse. You know, that that was a, a cause of more pain and distress than any times I've been a victim. Now, my times of being a victim are never worse than I suppose having been tortured. I've and I've experienced torture myself, 
as an inmate in the U.S. legal system, obviously, uh, in, in, a, in a way that was on scale with, you know, what I, what I did to people in Iraq. And that doesn't bother me. You know, I can imagine if there was permanent damage, it would be a different story. You know, if as a victimizer, uh, I had maimed someone or caused someone to lose a limb or a family member or their own life. Yeah, okay, that's, that's different. But the, the mental anguish, the torture of, of being the victimizer, and in this case, it's the Karen. And it's the Karens of America. I mean, that sounds like a great Facebook group. I think there's a parody, or a band. The Karens of America. Uh, no, man. Yeah, you could, I, I mean, we could really, uh, go, we could really do something with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that horse is dead, though. Uh, just so you know, we got a super chat waiting. All right, pull it up. Well, hold on. Before we get to the super chat, we had Joey's comment. I mean, we had major sidetrack there. Now we really got to get to the headlines after our super chat. But the platoon420.com pledge says, I will stand in the face of tyranny for the best interest of myself and my community. I denounce the archaic drug laws that have made victims of the people they were written to protect, and I will not support any legislation that regulates what a person puts in their body. All right. Oh, yeah, that's easy. I'm there. Um, Platoon420.com. All right, let's bring up that super chat. Okay, super chat from Gangster Talk for $9.99. Will Joe Jorgensen make a speech about not being at the golf course like Biden will, like Biden will probably make about Trump, like Trump made about Obama, Obama about Bush, Bush about Clinton, so on and so on. So do you think Joe Jorgensen will make a speech about not being at the golf course like Biden? I don't think so. He'll just won't. Uh, what was it? I, sh- I shared something on Twitter today about Joe. Oh, it was, how do you like your sexual assault? And it was like covert with Trump or on camera with Biden or not at all Joe Jorgensen. And you go, yeah. You know what? You know what do you do? And and, and this is the, you know the ultimate challenge that 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 Joe has to take on right now. You know how do you differentiate 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 yourself as the Libertarian presidential candidate from the Democrat and the Republican? And if, you know obviously there are plenty of things that already differentiate you. But you know in the, in the minds of voters. How do you get their attention and show I'm different in a meaningful, positive way? And, you know, I, you know, some of the stories we're going to cover about Trump today, I'm just like, or that I, I considered, like Trump uh, tweeting about, oh, the ramp was icy when he stumbled down. Oh, I used, I used two hands to take a sip of water because I didn't want to spill on my tie. And then you go, okay, well, look, watch, watch, watch this. One hand, no spills. That's how normal people drink, right? You don't have to use two hands to, to not spill your drink on, on your tie. And, and at some point, it's like we elected a lying reality TV star manipulative businessman. I mean, I'm being generous here. What, what did you expect? Everybody's going to come to accept it. I mean, our, our, this is why, you know, I think in the, in the general election analysis, 
It's Biden's to lose. All he has to do is not sexually assault someone on camera. You know, like, all he has to do is be the better alternative to Trump, the, the less hateful version of Trump, and he wins. I, you know, I think it, it, they're – so one of the, one of the stories that, that uh, we're going to get to today, too, is about the election. Actually, no, this is one when I decided not to cover today. That uh, there's going to be a delay in calling the winner of the presidential election if it's a close race. Because there's going to be a lot of voting by mail for people who are afraid of showing up in person because of the coronavirus. Or just because of the logistics. And it's like, they're going to make us stand six feet apart. It's going to be a huge line. Screw that. I'll just vote by mail. Right. So for Joe, if if they engineer it to be a close race, it's really hard to break voters out of the lesser evil voting thought process. You want there to as a libertarian, we want there to be a landslide. For at this point for, for Biden. And we want right now, and not in the, I mean, obviously we want a landslide for Joe. Uh, I'm not trying to say, but right now, one of the ways that we could see this unfolding positively for Joe is that because, and, and this is what is happening, it looks good for her as an opportunity in that Joe Biden is in polls dominating Trump. And, and it looks pretty consistent now. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks that we've seen 10-plus numbers in some of the polling nationally. I, at that point, politics gets boring. Now, Trump will never let it be boring. I understand that as long as he's president. Things are going to be interesting, at very least. But it creates this you know, motivation for people to look to the libertarian. What I would have been doing, obviously, I think it was in the platform itself, and that localization should be what differentiates us as libertarians. As as for Joe, um, I, I don't know what the best strategy is. Uh, it, it's definitely not going to be a speech about golf. Well, that's some silly crap. But I think she's I think she's better than that. And if if it were me in her shoes and her position with her platform, it would be you know what I uh, you know promote of her message the most of pardoning all. Uh, people she possibly can for victimless crimes. All right, so that being said, now that we are 45 minutes into the show, let's do some headlines. All right, we've already covered a lot of news. It's been a lot of fun. But the first thing, the big story today is looking at the U.S. dollar. So starting with marketwatch.com, the decline of the U.S. dollar could happen at warp speed in the era of coronavirus, warns prominent economist Stephen Roach. Stephen Roach, a Yale University senior fellow and former Morgan Stanley Asia chairman, tells MarketWatch that his forecast for a sharp deterioration of the U.S. dollar could be a very near-term phenomenon, not an event that looms off in the distance. I do think it's something that happens sooner rather than later, the economist told MarketWatch during a Monday afternoon interview. His comments come as the financial expert has been warning for weeks of an epic downturn of the buck that could signal the end of the hegemony of the greenback as a reserve currency, an event that would ripple through global financial markets. You know, it's it's going to be more than that. It's not like this is almost underselling it. If the dollar 
goes to the death spiral of inflation, it's not just hey, it's going to ripple through global financial markets. You're going to see you're gonna, first you're going to see the dollar go radically reduced in its international presence. The death of the petrodollar, not using it for so many mechanisms of international trade that are already just in, in regular practice. Things that we have been watching over the last decade or so switching, even in the petrodollar, like China and Russia and a lot of their oil exchanges, they used to have to use the dollar, not anymore. And it, that was just one of the impositions of the U.S. dollar empire that bit by bit, you know, why did they why did they take out Gaddafi as part of the Arab Spring? Well, maybe it was because he was working on a gold-backed currency for the continent of Africa that would challenge the dollar there in a lot of ways. So it's really a kind of, you know, cleansing for the world. Like they ripple through global financial markets. Yeah, the people who have been profiting as, as ambassadors of the global dollar empire, you might call them. Yeah, they're going to suffer. Those companies attached to them are going to suffer or might if they do in, in, on the whole. But what we're talking about by getting the dollar out of the world economy, uh, well, you remember Ross Perot used to call or, or called it famously that giant sucking sound from Mexico? Well, really, what's the bigger sucking sound? It's the sucking of wealth and value from the rest of the world into America, into the, well, really, into the American economic system, into the banking system, the financial system. And yes, a lot of that goes to improve your quality of life if you're an American, if you're a citizen of the empire, you benefit from this as well. But we all suffer because in order to keep this going in America, your economic rights have to be restricted. But it's really the exploitation of the rest of the world through the dollar that is the, the, the most evil of its effects, other than funding war and, and armed conflict, of course. And so then when, when that happens, you know, it's, it, it, it is, it, it's a short little chain of events. I mean, we say dominoes. Dominoes suggest like a longer, and it may be if you want to use the domino metaphor. It's a lot of small, it's a lot of small dominoes. Like if you want to go back to Bretton Woods and all of the things that made, you know, the, the Jekyll Island, the, uh, you know, Federal Reserve Act of 1913, and say, look, you know, since all of these things, we, we, we've had this growth of the dollar, the modern U.S. dollar empire. I mean, you can also, you got to include in this narrative, 1972, Richard Nixon taking the dollar off of the gold standard. Now they can just have you know, more money created, and they don't have to have it tethered to any physical reality of gold in any way whatsoever. And at that point, the only thing backing up the U.S. dollar is the violence of the U.S. government forcing people to use it both to pay taxes and in petrodollar transactions and so many other uh, international market manipulations, generally uh, connected to, you know, the CIA or the U.S. military. This is, uh, you know, confessions of an economic hitman kind of stuff I'm talking about here. So the, the, if you want to use the domino metaphor, you get, like, to the end, if, if, if maybe the dollar – is, is, is the last domino in the chain, the dollars. And what, you know, it's a, it's, even at its reduced stature, after all of these prior dominoes, it's a big domino. Rejecting the dollar as the world reserve currency, as the petrodollar, these are bigger dominoes leading up to, like, the last few. But, uh, you know, as it says, 
the end of the hegemony of the greenback as a reserve currency, that's like the first big domino in the last few big dominoes. And it's if, if, if we hit one of those, it's going to go fast. So I'm looking at these two stories today. First, we're looking at MarketWatch.com. Of course, then we're going to go to uh, to Reuters for uh, the inflation dogma, finally, Bark Investors Bet. And this is, you know, looking at, like, how close are we? Is this really happening? So back to the market watch story. In the COVID era, everything unfolds at warp speed, Roach told Market Watch on Monday. He pointed to the contraction of the U.S. economy from an employment rate that was hovering around a 50-year low at around 3.5% near the start of 2020 to one that shows some 49 million people unemployed since the pandemic took hold in March. He also noted the rapid and unprecedented fiscal and monetary response that has ballooned the Federal Reserve's balance sheet to more than $7.2 trillion from $4 trillion at the start of the year as examples of the celerity at which the currency market could change. Roach is calling for the dollar to soon decline 35% against its major rivals, citing increases in the nation's deficit and dwindling savings. As he said, this massive shift to fiscal stimulus is going to blow out the national savings rate and the current account deficit. Last week, the U.S. current account deficit, a measure of the nation's debt to other countries, slipped 0.1% in the first quarter falling to $104.2 billion from a revised $104.3 in the in the 2019 fourth quarter. The current account reveals if a country is a net lender or debtor. So 35%. So when someone says, like, the dollar is going to decline 35%, I think what they really mean is that the dollar is going to soon decline hundred percent, because this would not be a downturn. This would not be a fluctuation. If you look at any of the graphs that chart the devaluation of the U.S. dollar over the last hundred years, you know that show you know it's a long, steady decline. It's lost 97 percent of its value, depending on you know how exactly you want to measure that. So some would say more at this point. But that's been a relatively smooth decline. Yes, there's been some jagged lines. There's been the, you know, the crisis in the 70s. You know, there have been, you know, manipulations around World War II, World War One, obviously. But the overall path of the decline of the dollar has been relatively steady. Could it take a 35% hit right now and survive? I don't think so. I mean, it says 35%, you know, Roach is calling for that. Over what period of time? If it happens in 10 years, then you go, well, that's actually a reduction in the decline rate. If it happens over one year, you go, wow, that's a significant acceleration. If it's 35% it happens in a month, that's, that's off the deep end. And this is kind of a confidence game. Thank you, CJ. That's a great example of, of this chart. This buying, buying power of a dollar over time from, well, that's 1800 to 2020. So you almost want to just look at the, at the second half of that. 
to see the modern U.S. dollar under the current Federal Reserve system. Um, but, yeah, that's very clearly, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of other ways people will manipulate the statistics around that. But, hey, purchasing power of the dollar declined. They create more money in D.C. That's inflation. Or with the Federal Reserve System and with uh, fractional reserve banking, which is actually where most of the money comes from. A lot of libertarians misunderstand this. A lot of fans of end the Fed, people who get into that stuff, think, oh, it's just it's the Federal Reserve. It's not just the Federal Reserve. It's the Federal Reserve underpinning the banking system, the FDIC, Federal Department of Insurance Corporation, all the way that the federal government makes it legal and economically viable for banks to do fractional reserve lending. And it's a complicated system. You can study it a lot. The core concept, very simple, very easy to understand based on that word, fractional reserve lending. It's if a bank has $10 in the bank, they can use that as a fraction of what they're lending out and lend someone $100 and say, well, it's okay, we've got 10 of it backed up. And you go, wait, you just raised $90 out of thin air? Like, how did, you, how did you do that? Well, because they're able to do that legally in the system and without the liability that the market would hold them accountable for and actually making those loans because those loans might get called in or, you know, um, those those notes would, would get used and then, there are consequences when the bank, people go to the bank and say, all right, we've got these claims for, you know, 10 gold coins and or 100 gold coins. And, you know, you, oh, you only have 10 gold coins in your vault? Well, mm, you're going out of business. You're a fraud. But that's what we've done, like this whole system. So, uh, the whole dollar. What, what is the U.S. dollar? It's a form of legalized fraud. Backed up by the violence of the U.S. government. In case anybody figures it out and tries to resist, or call anybody's attention to this by creating an alternative system. This is why I'm such a fan of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency in general, and creating these alternatives. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of gold and silver. Right now, I actually have more money in gold and silver than crypto, sadly. I, I consider that my, my foundation. And I, I, I've spent, uh, I've had to liquidate and, and use, unfortunately, uh, most of my crypto at this point. So very disappointing for myself. That's my own personal financial hardship as a result of the coronavirus forced unemployment pandemic. But look, I'm still doing fine because I had that buffer, because I did plan this out, because I own my home. I have a homestead where I can come and have everything that I need and not depend on any centralized system if I don't want to. Now, we're not there yet. I'm not, I'm not trying to brag like, hey, I'm perfect. I got it all set up. You know, I'm still a relatively poor dude trying to put all this together, but I feel a lot richer because of how I've spent my money, how I've invested it in things that, you know, have value regardless of this. And this might be your last chance. You know, we talked about pulling people out of collapsing buildings. I'm doing it right now. I'm pulling you out of the collapsing economic system because you see what's happening with the dollar right now. This might be your last chance because I can't, I can't actually pull you. Like the metaphor fails here, right, Jim? I'm not actually pulling people out of the collapsing building that is the society of the state, you know, crumbling around us. No, I'm showing people the way out. You have to do it for yourself. You have to say, I see this, I want this, I don't believe the, the hype anymore, and I'm, I'm not just going to go along to get along. I'm going to do better for myself. So uh, back to Market Watch. Roach said that his recent warnings about the dollar have garnered intense and emotional responses from readers and critics because he believes that the U.S. 
is at a particularly sensitive time in history. He said the racial upheaval sparked by the death of George Floyd, the pandemic and the intensity of the presidential election have combined to elicit powerful responses from readers that he hasn't gotten since his days writing financial commentary at Morgan Stanley. He said during the time we're going to get hair trigger responses from people. We're at a critical point in the political cycle, and the dollar is a relative price. So you're making a comparison to the United States and other countries, and there are just really strong views against the analysts that call into question U.S. dominance. Surprise, surprise. So, now, asked if investors should be fearful of a downturn of the dollar. Roach said that this wouldn't be the first time the dollar has slumped meaningfully and that fear is a question of context. Fear may be justified if they are unprepared and not hedged and have not thought about what some of the options are uh, take, to take advantage of. He said, point to the euro as a possible alternative. And it's true, if you want to stay in the system, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're, you're leaping from sinking ship to sinking ship. No, no, come over here to safe, dry land in economic reality away from fiat currencies. Now, jumping to the next story from Reuters.com, inflation dog may finally bark investors' bet. Looking at some different perspectives on this issue, gold, forest, property, stocks, inflation-linked bonds, these are just some of the assets investors are pouring money into on the view that the recent explosion of government spending and central bank stimulus may finally rouse inflation from its decades-long slumber. And the caption in this photo here, you see some people uh, buying uh, arrays of computer monitors, and it says NYSE-AMEX, New York Stock Exchange-AMEX, options floor traders from Trademoss Inc. work off work in an off-site trading office built when the New York Stock Exchange closed due to the outbreak of the coronavirus disease in the Brooklyn borough of New York City. So all of this is happening now. And remember that all of these bigger economic factors are not driven so much by the average American who has money in an, a 401k or an IRA or uh, you know mutual funds or, or anything like that. It's by these people who are constantly trading, looking for the economic edge. Now, in a free market, you would still have some kind of markets for commodities, for currencies, for companies, for stock, things like that, because it's an important market function to set prices and to direct resources. And in today's system, we have huge distortions that make this function uh, a lot scarier, uh, a lot more. Like, you know, the margins would be smaller if you had a free market. You wouldn't have wild swings. You wouldn't have the casino of the stock market. You wouldn't have the inflation of stock market prices through uh, corporatism and, and all the other manipulations that happen here. So but it, right now, you go, well, is the dollar going to collapse? Well, let's look at what the people who really have the skin in the game are doing with their money, shall we? Sure enough, market-based gauges suggest an uptrend in prices. Uh, I'm sorry, far, sorry, I missed the line of the story. With the world economy forecast to shrink 6% this year, it may seem like a strange time to fret about inflation. And sure enough, market-based gauges suggest an uptrend in prices may not trouble investors for years. 
U.S. and Eurozone inflation gauges indicate that annual price growth will be running at barely over 1% even a decade from now. So if inflation really is, as the IMF put it in 2013, the dog that didn't bark failing to respond to all the central bank money printing unleashed in the wake of the 2008-2009 crisis, why should investors prepare for it now, especially as demographics and technology are also conspiring to tamp down inflation across the developed world? Now, I, I got to just examine like one little part of the wording here. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, called inflation the dog that didn't bark. I mean, really, it could be like the dog that didn't bite might be more accurate. But it's a dog that's biting. I just, the, 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 I'm, fr- I'm, I, I look at this analogy and I go, ah, propaganda. Let me deconstruct it. The dog that didn't bark. It, it's. It's the dog, you know, I'm trying to, you know, so how this analogy is not accurate to reality. It's not that inflation is the dog that didn't bark. It's the part of our racket that we were able to keep going. And that they, they have, what they have done, and this is like this kind of economic propaganda, has so many baked in assumptions that we just take for granted. Oh, inflation isn't the, the, the part of this criminal racket. It's just this, this side effect of, of, you know, having an advanced economy. And, oh, this fortune is a dog that didn't bark. Maybe, oh, the IMF, uh, they protected us from it. This, no. I mean, it is, this is why the uh, Stockholm Syndrome, you know, loving your captors is such an apt metaphor for modern government. So, uh, the answer is that something the dog really will bark this time, partly because, unlike in the post-2008 years, governments around the world have also been rolling out massive spending packages in a bid to limit the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. We will be pushing, pushing, pushing on the string and dropping our guard. Then three to five years from now, that's when the inflation dog will start barking, said Pinebridge Investments head of multi-asset Mike Kelly, who has been buying gold. On that view, gold worries about such things long in advance. It has risen through this coronavirus with that down the road risk top of mind, he added. Even typically frugal governments such as Germany have joined central banks with trillions of dollars in stimulating programs. Investors say even the long taboo topic of debt monetization, where central banks directly fund government spending, may be on the cards. What worries me is that at the moment it seems that there is no limit to fiscal stimulus, said Klaus Calder Morgan, a portfolio manager at Asset Manager DWS, who said he was investing in inflation edges far more now <clears throat> than he was after 2008. Inflation hawks also cite a trend of deglobalization, where shrinking international trade in Western companies bringing production back to their own countries leads to higher prices. Yeah, well, that would, that would be protectionism. This would be nationalism, although you don't call it. Well, it would be nationalism and socialism. But no, no, don't point out that there's a rise in the underlying philosophy of Nazism behind this whole thing. Surprise, surprise. This view that inflate, did, did I just, uh, did I just lose the internet? Did I, did I what's the test? Did I just fail the, uh, <laughs> the first person to bring Hitler into an argument loses? No, but yeah, obviously there's this is this is something you know deeper than this. So what to buy? Investors have an interest in pricing future inflation correctly to safeguard their returns, hence the need for hedges. 
assets that increase in value or at least hold it when price growth accelerates. So primarily bonds and gold for you know the U.S. inflation-linked items. Uh, wealth managers, scams by rumors have been channeling up to 10% into gold via index funds, gold shares, and even bullion. So yeah, and, and I've skipped a few stories this week about the rush to gold. This is it in the number. But if gold prices have risen 18% since the end of March, some other hedges remain cheap, so there's still time to get in. Woods and Forest didn't expect to see this in the story, and it's not just about gold or linkers. Another choice is real estate. Calder Morgan of DWS is buying German residential property stocks, betting that the supply of new property will rise slower than the money supply, of course. Global house prices adjusted for inflation rose 14% from 2009 to 19, so over a decade, according to the IMF. Legal and General's Jeffrey accelerated investments in agricultural land and forestry earlier this year in expectation they will retain their real value over the 5- to 10-year horizon. His holdings are via publicly listed shares of companies heavily exposed to such land. Timber prices rose over 130% in real terms in Great Britain over the past decade. Forest research data shows while the U.S. value of farmland rose 28%. In the decade of 2019, according to the Department of Agriculture. Now, I I don't mean to just you know conflate the issue here or confuse things, but remember there's there's a lot of land that's being held back from the market by governments all over the world. So that might be a huge switch in that. You got to watch carefully. If the governments start giving up land in meaningful ways, like the 50% of the land west of the Mississippi that is owned by the U.S. federal government, there are going to be massive upheavals throughout the real estate market as well that are actually have the potential to make the real estate upheavals that we've seen so far most poignantly in commercial real estate with huge plummets in prices there as a result of the coronavirus state of emergency uh, declared by President Trump, not the virus itself, and that might, but that's going to lag. For now, I think you're I think you're still safe buying and investing in land. Ultimately, gold and silver, crypto, other things. But you guys see the idea. Get away from this fiat currency. Kelly of Pinebridge also favors Timberland purchased through private funds while predicting that linkers will remain cheap for the next few years. He expects timber to benefit soon of rock bottom Mortgages enticed more first time. Home buyers and fuel a construction boom. I don't think we're gonna have a construction boom when we have more empty houses than homeless people in the United States as a result of the mortgage market manipulation referenced here. So one way or another, get away from the system. What we see now, and, and this is what I think of as the first bigger domino in the collapse is the end of the confidence. I mean, what is the, what is the U.S. dollar? It's a confidence racket. I have confidence in this piece of paper that the federal government of the United States will be able to enforce its value. Well, with cops being pushed back from the chaz as much as Libertarians and conservatives want to say, nah, yeah, that's a bunch of disgusting socialists, communists, hippie liberals. 
It's true. They are doing something beautiful and righteous, saying, no, go away, police. We don't want you here. You think the government that can't do that can prop up the U.S. dollar empire for long? When so many people, even at the investor level, are turning away from it? I don't think so. All right. I hope that was uh, more than a thorough enough explanation. From goodnewsnetwork.org, positive news, of course, coronavirus breakthrough, a cheap and widely used drug found to cut deaths by one third. And this is, my, I think we're going to, do I have the Trump story pulled up? Yeah, we do. We're going to talk about Trump and saying, oh, we want to slow down testing at this rally. Holy crap. Uh, but this is based on uh, a study from researchers at Oxford in the UK who said that a low-dose do- steroid steroid treatment, which costs about $6 per dose and is widely available, can reduce the risk of death, death by one-third for patients on ventilators and one-fifth for those on oxygen. Uh, you, you're not going to hear about this in the fear-mongering mainstream media. There are other consequences to the upheaval around the coronaphobia crisis that make a lot of people say things like, ah, oh, they went too far with this one. They, they really overstepped their bounds pushing people using this virus that has a lower mortality rate than trying to spend a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis as the excuse for all this. And so I go to uh, Reuters from Trust.org for this next story. We're going to look at Denmark and Russia. Denmark's high tax consensus wobbles as Danes told to spend. And this contradiction in the system that that, that you're going to see with this story has been apparent to at least economically literate libertarians for a long time. But now it is being laid bare in an undeniable way across the entire global economy in a way that I, I hope, I mean, I'm hopeful anytime I see something like this. The people are paying attention. and But that's the story here, is that the high-tax consensus is wobbling, so to speak. The highlights here, Danish government to give $9 billion in cash handouts, hopes to reignite economy with increased consumption, high-tax burden could zap potency of cash injection. Denmark has second-highest tax burden among developed economies. Opposition parties in Denmark are pushing for temporary cuts to one of the world's highest tax regimes to ensure pandemic cash holdout handouts boost consumption instead of ending up in state coffers. And you go, wait, wait a second. Denmark rivals France among advanced economies for the heaviest tax burden on its citizens, who by and large accept it as the price to be paid for their cradle-to-grave welfare state. But the downside of a system that taxes nearly 45% of GDP is that much of the 60 billion Danish crowns, that's what they call them, crowns, 9.1 billion in cash handouts, dollars, do uh, agree a stimulus will go back to the state rather than being spent on goods and services to revive the economy. Wow. We need to get the wheels rolling, Prime Minister Meta. Frederickson told Parliament on Monday, we rarely ask Danes to spend money. I would like to do that today. If you can afford an extra night at a restaurant or a summer trip around the country, do it. What he meant to say was, hey, you know how our government is set up to, like, 
constantly rip you off, spend money in your name, and debt you and then throw you the crumbs and, and organize your cradle-to-grave welfare system for you. Well, we uh, we got carried away with the stealing part. And we need to make sure that money stays that, that money stays among all of you, the people, so that you don't die. Because it looks like we've manipulated it. Well, you're not going to die, but you know, you're going to lose your jobs. If we, but no, you have to go out and say, spend money. Like, otherwise, the government's going to get too much of it. So, the opposition parties and economists say Denmark's top tax rate of 56% will encourage many in the top tax bracket to redirect money to pension schemes rather than spend it. Oh, unintended consequences. You said you were going to encourage savings and retire. Oh, and guess what? It profits rich people. And oh, oh no, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Whoops. Whoops. Oh, our bad. Hey, let's fix it. We'll give you all some money and uh, and, and ask you to spend it. Oh, whoops. That might not even fix it either because our taxes are too high. The cash payout will be financed by Dane's own holiday allowance which has been frozen as part of a revamp last year of the holiday pay system, and it was meant to be paid out as an additional pension when people retire. A third of the 60 billion crowns would go to around 400,000 Danes in the top tax bracket. I mean, this is just like, you go, whoa, 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 okay, system's starting to crumble, and because they have to maintain this illusion of, political competition, you at least have opposition parties willing to call attention to this. The cash handout due to reach citizens later this year has become a thorny issue for the Social Democrats as it would also push another 100,000 taxpayers into the top tax bracket, including senior nurses and teachers. This is the economy set to tip into recession due to the pandemic. So to Russia... From RTVI.com, Vladimir Putin announces tax hike on Russia's top earners in latest presidential address. If approved, the changes will come into effect January 1, 2021. He proposed to raise the country's income tax rate from 13 to 15% for people earning over 5 million rubles. That sounds like a lot. Oh, he's only taxing the rich. No, what is that? $72,800 a year. Uh, which is a lot closer to average in the United States. So if you, you know, this it's a, it's a huge, uh, significant increase that, you know, you go uh, 13, 15%. You know, any individual can weather that. But when you look at the scope of the economy, how many people, you know, what we say, well, most of people, individuals can weather that. Okay, fine. Uh but you know, if, my, if, if you're uh, you know on a tight budget, support a family, your taxes go from thirteen. Your taxes just go up two percent over the course of a year. Okay, you're making seventy-two thousand eight hundred dollars. One percent of that, seven hundred twenty dollars, seven thousand seven hundred and twenty-eight dollars, right? Would be one percent. Two percent over fifteen hundred dollars. It's a fifteen hundred dollar hit over a year. For someone in the working class. 
What does that mean for a lifestyle adjustment? A little less spending? How many people on the margin then go, well, you know what, I can't afford a new car this year. You know, if you had uh, 100 people, you, know, you say one person, okay, one person buys the car. We say you have 100 people who are all in the situation. And, and, and uh, you know, 10 of them were going to buy a new car. Now only five can. Whoa, now you see where it's going, right? Ripple effect economically. And, of course, in a huge managed economy like Russia, and remember, Russia's economy is only about a 30th to a 40th the size of the United States. Huge difference. When people present Russia versus America as like the competing evil empires, you know, it hasn't been true for a long time that, that they were anywhere on par economically. And now the Russian economy, a 30th, a tiny fraction of the size of the American economy. The hike will contribute an additional 60 million rubles approximately 874.8 million U.S. dollars to the state budget, Putin said, adding that the funds would be used towards children's health care and the purchase of medical equipment. As he said, quote, I suggest that these funds be marked, especially, let's say, to protect them against other uses and direct them towards treating children with serious rare diseases, as well as the purchase of expensive drugs, medical equipment, rehabilitation devices, and the financing of high-tech surgeries. And I have to wonder, because you know, Russia has a very suppressed media environment. What the underground take in Russia is on a story like this. Because just by presenting this mainstream narrative, this framing, right? Hey, guys, we're going to increase taxes by 2%. We're going to raise about another, uh, I mean, another billion dollars a year for the state budget, and we're going to use it for children's uh, health care. Well, if you oppose that, why are you against children's health care? Why do you want the children to die? You go, yeah, Putin does the same crap over there. Yeah, it was a tough guy hiding behind the children in order to steal from the Russian people on behalf of himself and the Russian oligarchy. I think this is wearing thin in Russia, too. You think the people there are going, oh, yeah, because of coronavirus, I need to give you more money. No, no, I don't think they're buying it. What I see happening around the world in the patchwork response to the coronavirus is uh, a silver lining I've been looking for. And there are way more stories we've seen in the last few weeks of government-induced economic turmoil using coronavirus as the excuse that has led to major upheavals. Uh, I mean, in the United States, the, the, the police reforms are the distraction. Hey, we'll give you that. Right. And other countries, other their governments are plenty capable of uh, manufactured crises and distractions and all the other things that keep you from paying attention to this. But we, we look back to the United States and this is the big narrative. This is, this is why, why I say don't be distracted. Keep your eye on the prize. Never forget that all of this is, is so the rich get richer and the poor get poor. In the U.S., nine trillion dollars of liquidity added to the market. And then what do you know, right? when people start asking questions about, hey, where did all those small business loans actually go? Where did those stimulus checks actually wind up? 
What corporations are pro- why did why did you borrow money in my name and then bail out all these companies instead of just giving me the money and letting me decide, letting the American people decide by voting with our dollars what companies should survive or exist in the first place and which ones shouldn't? Oh no, of course that would make too much sense. So don't forget this. We're going to stay on this story and bring you more about how all over the world the economic upheaval caused by government with the corona excuse is leading to a lot of positive changes and there are a lot of economic silver linings here as well. Moving on, uh, Blue Leaks Matter from FastCompany.com report highly sensitive police department data hacked for a WikiLeaks-style website. A large trove of data from hundreds of police organizations was leaked online last week. Digital security journalist Brian Krebs reported Monday the cache of files was dubbed Blue Leaks by Distributed Denial of Secret, a WikiLeaks-style organization that posted the data online saying it provides unique insights into law enforcement. The group claims the cache includes data from police departments, fusion centers, uh, that according between law enforcement organizations and other police groups. DDO Secrets co-founder Emma Bass told Wire that the group worked to pull out sensitive data about crime victims, children, and unrelated organizations. An internal alert from the National Fusion Center Association, quoted by Krebs, claimed that the data does include personal identifiable information and images of suspects, as well as highly sensitive information such as ACH, ACH routing numbers, international bank account numbers, and other financial data. Well, uh, not for the individuals who are exposed as, uh, you know, innocent, uh, you know, victims with their photos up there, obviously, or the victims of victimless or, or, or those who committed, you know, victimless crimes who are now the victims of, of the police. But let their victimhood be exposed so that we, we may learn from it. I'm excited to see what comes out of this. There are more revelations as this data gets processed. We will bring you more stories. I'm hoping that there are more consequences of this, although it's like with WikiLeaks. Oh, you exposed that our system is totally corrupt and evil? Well, we already knew that. We're still not going to do anything about it. You know, and, and I, I love things like this. But you, you know, there has to be, uh, you know, synergy with, with people who care to, to really put this data to good use. All right. To the top story that the mainstream media is going crazy about today from thehill.com with Donald Trump in the crosshairs. Lincoln Project hits Trump on testing confession. CJ, if you would roll tape there on the second video with that story to see the ad itself from the Lincoln Project, the anti-Republican super PAC. Got it, CJ? Should I keep talking? All right. The Lincoln Project, an anti-Trump Republican super PAC, slammed President Trump in a new ad on Tuesday after he quit the encouraged administration officials to slow down coronavirus testing and blamed it on increased cases in the U.S. Roll tape, please. Deceptive, lying president in history finally told the truth. Somehow, it was more shocking than all his deceptions. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Slow the testing down? Slow down our chance to save tens of thousands of lives. 
Slow down our understanding of where COVID is and how it's spreading. Slow down the steps to reopen the economy. Every single expert told him to test more and test faster. And now we know his response. Slow the testing down, please. That's why this November, more than ever, the choice is clear. It's America or Trump. the ad came with an endorsement of Joe Jorgensen at the end because obviously Biden isn't any better. You can look back to his handling of the H1N1 flu uh, as vice president for specific evidence of that if you want. Excuse me. But this, what's what's Trump's way out of it? Because uh, this was, you know, in an interview, Trump said that he didn't do this. Uh, Trump aides have said that his comment in Tulsa was a joke. Uh, that was it was made in jest. Uh, as McEnany is, uh, let's get the title right. His press secretary Kaylee McEnany said, "Quote: It was a comment that he made in passing, specifically with regard to the media coverage and pointing out the fact that the media acknowledges that we have more cases because where you test more people, you find more cases." Yeah, well, duh. Now the funny thing about this is that for Trump. He's in a, having walked into this coronaphobia trap, he's in a really weird situation. Because if he put out more, t- if he said yes, and, and, and this is one thing, like, I'm for, yeah, like, let's get the testing out there. I took a test myself. Get the tests out there, you know, and then let's expose the, the, this, this hype for the hoax that it is, right? I mean, even if the people who have fallen for the hoax, are saying, well, yeah, and that's why we need more testing. Well, we can agree on that. And those of us who have been following the numbers internationally and, and, and watching the, the, them come down and all of the manipulation and the over-reporting of the death counts and the under-reporting of the testing counts, the case counts, like this is going back to China from, from months ago where they stopped counting asymptomatic patients who tested positive. And you go, wait, 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 what? Yeah, if you showed up in China and you tested positive but you didn't have any symptoms, they put you in a different category. This is why you saw there was this, it was a big story in China like a couple of months ago, or, or China, it was a new big story internationally. It was like, hey, you're kind of messing with the global health care or the, you know, the world's health when you're putting out misinformation like this or suppressing data, which is really what that represents. So, yeah, if you test more people, you include, you're going to find, and again, you're going to find that it's like HPV. You know, like the, the virus that causes general war. So most people, it's benign. It doesn't do anything. Men don't even get tested for it because it's not, I guess, science hasn't caught up. You can't really uh, practically test men for HPV. And it's, just, it's, it's out there. You do it. You manage it. But, but that would ruin the narrative for Trump now either way. Because if he goes back to like, oh, yeah, it was no big deal. It's like, a, you know, bad seasonal flu, kind of funky thing. But, yeah, we got this. And then, and then he goes and brags, well, we did all this stuff about it. But he said, well, the, 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 they tricked me. The CDC and the mainstream media, the Democrats and the liberals, within your freaking idiot. That's not the case. He's not. He's not an idiot. I mean, he's people call him a buffoon. I kind of like that word for him because he acts dumb. He's like practically. Dumb. He's not dumb. Like he doesn't lack the mental horsepower. He's a smart dude. I mean, there's no way around it. But he, he's clever, right? He's, he's he's a good communicator. Donald Trump. Yeah, you can't deny him that. But like as a buffoon acting dumb, where he he because he, he, he's motivated by dumb things. He's motivated 
by ego. He's motivated by self-image. He's motivated by you know all of these things that he wants for his his legacy uh, to to be burnished. So was this a common like? And now he's got these people lying for him. And I guess this going to cost him the election? No, the standards is is just way too low. I mean. You would think Joe Jorgensen would be a refreshing change at this point. So to goodnewsnetwork.org, bipartisan Senate passes Great American Outdoors Act to finally fund maintenance backlog in national parks. In a rare moment of bipartisanship on Capitol Hill, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate voted 73 to 25 to pass the Great American Outdoors Act, a funding bill that one lawmaker called the single greatest conservation achievement in generations. The Outdoors Act creates a fund into which not less than 50% of all revenues made from the energy production on public land, from oil and gas drilling and renewables, to be dedicated to finally funding over $20 billion worth of delayed maintenance projects in America's national parks and public lands. Now, what really happened here? You have to go back and read between the lines. Uh, Now, I appreciate that this is coming from Good News Network, so I'm not going to try to, you know, in any way challenge it. This is good news. Money is going to something that it hasn't been going to, that it is needed for for national parks for a long time. I go, wait a second. Not less, so like this, the way this is working is that they're going to take not less than 50% of, of all revenues made from energy production on public lands from oil and gas. And, and you go, wait a second. So there's been a $20 billion worth of delayed maintenance. And during this time, the federal government has been using revenues from energy production on public lands, oil and gas, for other stuff? For the surveillance state? For the police state? For the welfare state? For the militarization of local police with surplus military gear? Like, what, what are they doing with that money? I mean, it's all fungible. It goes into the, the federal general fund that is used for all the evil of the government. But they've been taking. Now, if you don't hear this backstory, you might go, wow, it's a really good thing we have the government there to fund parks. And even when things get delayed, they're there to fix it. They caused the backlog in the first place. If you had private control or community control or any other kind of local control of these resources, this backlog never would have happened in the first place, only with centralization by force and a detachment of the people responsible for making decisions from the consequence of those decisions. Do we have disastrous consequences like this? If you didn't have, like, it wouldn't be a problem in the first place. 70% of the fund's contents will go to the National Park Service for projects in America's national parks, encompassing over 400 places of historic, recreational, and scientific importance from the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone to the uh, Appomattox Courthouse Statue and Statue of Liberty. Among 15% will go to the Forest Service for maintenance on public lands, 5% for Bureau of Indian Indian Education, the Bureau of Land Management, and the Fish and Wildlife Service, respectively. I mean, okay, so right away, you know, Congress, try to do something nice for the national parks. 
and they couldn't do it without screwing it up. So, oh, yeah, so we, we decided we wanted this money. We're going to do something nice for the national parks because we've been screwing them up and screwing people over with them for so many decades. We thought we'd do something like, but hey, we couldn't do it without also giving money to all these other government programs like the Bureau of Land Management. Now, is that, you know, Bureau of Indian Education, not even related. Fish and Wildlife Service, at least, at least kind of related. The Delane, but, you know, what does the BLM do? The BLM shoots protesters like, uh, like the, the Bundy family, right? That's, that's, the, what is their job? To maintain government's usage of land privileges, not maximize their value or protect the individual right to natural resources or to enjoy national parks and nothing like that. The delaying of repairs and maintenance on things like roads, bridges, restrooms, campgrounds, and visitor centers has been mounting for years. The new legislation would also permanently authorize the Land and Water Conservation Fund to continue its work as a single most successful conduit of public lands funding, which is reauthorized temporarily last year with the passage of the Natural Resources Management Act. It's really sad how government has succeeded in taking over so many land management, natural resource management functions in so many disastrous ways that have been hidden from the American people. I mean, you go to the national parks, you go, oh, this is nice. Okay. This is, or, wow, like, I mean the park and the development itself. The parks are amazing. The nature is incredible, right? But you go to the park, you go, oh, okay, they got, you know, they got bathrooms. Okay, yeah, they got roads and they got parking. So I got some campgrounds. Okay. But it's like, it's, it, you know, it's kind of crummy. And, you know, is it, you know, it, it feels like a government facility in most places. And, you know, I, I prefer the dispersed camping. And even then, you know, the road maintenance being conducted by government agencies. And, and it's being done by great people. I mean, the people on the ground who do this, who volunteer, uh, I mean, I don't know about volunteer. I mean, they're taking jobs with the Forest Service, you know, remote areas. Uh, sometimes they do fire watch for remote mountains. Like my, my uh, I want to say friend, uh, because I, I went through a phase of reading all of his work. He has since passed. But Edward Abbey, a great author. Um, uh, look him up, Box Clementis and Deserto, the Monkey Wrench Gang. And he did, uh, I think it was in Alaska, and, and wrote a journal about his time spending a year uh, living alone on a firewatch tower out there. So the question isn't, like, just, you know, how bad is government screwing this up, but how much better could we be doing it? How much more is humanity capable of when we put the decisions about what to do with natural resources in the hands of people affected by them. When we localize that control and privatize that control. Now, by the way, when I say privatize, uh, I've heard from some libertarian socialists that they're actually saying socialize. Like I say privatize the VA, right? By giving every single veteran in America one ownership voting share. And they say, Adam, but you're giving it to every veteran. You're socializing it. It's not to the general public, so it's not socialized. It's not socialism. It's to a specific group of people, veterans, who are those who are meant to be helped by that system. So it would be the same thing with natural resources. I, I would hesitate to say socialize, but I understand that uh, when we privatize along libertarian principles, it has a lot of the benefits that people want 
out of socialism when it comes to natural resources. You know, localized control, uh, control of resources to maximize the value of those resources rather than meet the needs of politicians and their corporate sponsors and, you know, leave them prone to the energy industry's manipulation. You know, like it says here, there, a lot of this is about money raised by oil and gas revenue. And it's not the government doing that themselves. It's, you know, I mean, for better or for worse, right, at this point. It's the oil and gas companies who happen to donate a lot of money to congressional re-election funds and presidential election campaigns. Well, gee, what, you think they're getting a sweetheart deal there? Oh, yeah. Obviously. So you get to eliminate all of that with libertarian privatization. Walter Block has done some great work talking about privatization of the um, of uh, of the Mississippi River, and you go, wow, that's it's a huge natural resource, incredibly complex. How do you privatize the Mississippi River? And he's it's it's like, yeah, it's actually not just doable. You end up with a system that's a lot easier to manage than what we have today, with the kind of disputes you have over shared resource usage through government as the dispute solver resolved. Like, oh my gosh, of course we're capable of way better than this. Uh, to get, okay, so the LWCF, like the Great American Outdoors Act funding, uses a portion of all monies made from fuel and mineral extraction on public lands and offshore energy production for the purpose of conserving public land and water. Now, I got to call out Great News Network here because I think they kind of fell for the rhetoric of government here and pass on some, like, really dumb propaganda. This may cure up to all of your coronavirus cases. When, when someone advertising something includes the words up to, they're up to something. They're trying to, because up to could mean zero. So a portion of all monies, okay, um, how much? And they put in the way all. Not just a portion of the money, a portion of all the money. And you go, what idiot doesn't realize that that could just be a smaller portion? So together, the two pieces of legislation should clear the entire backlog of maintenance projects in America's national parks and other public lands over the next 10 years. So our socialist land management system might not be so crappy because some funding is being directed away from the corporate profiteers of the system to, you know, again, some breadcrumbs for the peasants. Let's let's let them have their their campgrounds and their bathrooms and and their their park park facilities and things like that, right? Is this you know no? This is still nowhere near what we're capable of. And as a libertarian, it's maddening to see uh, that that of all places, you know, we we get caught up with the police state and the warfare state and the welfare state, and we go, wow, look, these are causing immediate suffering right now. Like, we we, we got to address this, and this is something that we, we can connect with people on, and, you know, we can uh, show, like, hey, it affects your life right now. And most most Americans aren't environmentalists, sadly. You know, I mean, I, I, would, I would like to say yes in a broader sense. We're all environmentalists. Like, we're all libertarians. You know, we all want freedom. We all want peace and love and harmony and cooperation in the world. We're all environmentalists. We all are human beings that are part of the environment, organic creatures who love uh, the feel of sand between our toes and fresh mountain air in our, in our noses and just the feel of, 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 of dirt 
in our hands, to be able to engage with nature that way. You know, well, we're all environmentalists. Most Americans don't care. They have been led to not care about environmental issues so that we don't care that the federal government owns 50% of the land west of the Mississippi. We don't care that they are you know, leasing it out to, to oil and gas interests and taking advantage. We don't care because you still have this amazing national park system where, hey, at least the, the cool stuff will let you see that. But how much cooler would that be? How much more effective, how much better of an experience would you have if those resources were better managed? And while it's tempting to, to, to say, Adam, like, who cares? And, yeah, we have, we have plenty of natural resources. I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying, like, hey, doom and gloom, global warming, it's all about, to, we got to, no, but, you know, libertarians, we got to be paying more attention to environmental issues and showing people that they should care about these things more. You should care. Like, I know, you, you, when I talk to average Americans, you know, what, 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 what's important to you? Never do environmental issues come up. Never. I mean, rare, very rarely, I guess, among some, you know, uh, environmentalism-inclined crowd. But general public, no. It's and, and you look at political surveys. What issues are important to you? And this determines what politicians talk about. You know, it's retirement. It's, it's your Social Security. It's the wars. It's the debt. It's jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. I mean, another dangerous propaganda thing. They've led you to think that you need a job. Not, you need food, shelter, clothing. You need a job working for the man, paying taxes. 100% employment is the goal. Bullshit. No, 100% retirement should be the goal. Full wealth and, and economic freedom. And I guess when people have that, they'll be more inclined to save and invest, which means investing in a longer-term vision for humanity. And there are things that are being done right now to our planet, to our natural environment. And, yes, I, I'm with George Carlin here. Save the planet. Save the whales. What are you talking about? Save the planet? Uh, this this planet doesn't care. Oh, this is a terrible George Carlin impression, I know. But uh, the planet doesn't care about you. Uh, I'll stop trying. Okay, so George Carlin's point is, oh, the pl planet's going to shake us off like a bad case of fleas when we're gone. We are, we are insignificant. In the, in the life of this planet. But we are not insignificant in how we experience the ecosystems today. Biodiversity. The, the pollution that affects living creatures, our own health, all over the world. It is similarly a matter of life and death. And I definitely resent the global warming alarmists for ruining the issue. And discredit because now you know, conservatives and libertarians who care about this are going, well, we have to resist the global warming, globalist statism regime. It's like, yeah. How do you do it? Well, you get back to the principles and the, the, the common goals that unite all of us. And protecting the natural environment needs to be near the top of the list because in the long run, we might be just kicking the can down the road and coming to disasters that are worse than what we have now in terms of environmental crises. I'm not talking about global warming. I'm not talking about the doomsday stuff. I'm talking about what we actually see before our eyes as a result of government mismanagement of natural resources, pollution, and the tragedy of the commons. We have a socialist system where control, management, use of natural resources are socialized. 
which means the losses are public, the profits are private, as we have with all of these energy companies taking advantage of public lands. And no, more government is not the answer. We have to stop this to avert a further loss of value and degradation of quality of life that may lead to widespread health disasters that rival the consequences of war and the police state and all these other evils of government that seem to be more present right now. Don't forget the trees. All right, we've only got 15 minutes left in the show today. I still got a bunch of headlines to get to. We're going we're gonna to have to put off emotional freedom. I'm sorry, you're going to have to remain an emotional slave for one more day. But <clears throat> if you want to get in, you know, I, I'm going to say this again because I, I don't feel bad about pushing off the emotional freedom segment because I don't feel that it's complete. You know, I'm, I'll give you a quick overview. You know, so I want to start with high levels of stress hormone could be killing COVID-19 patients. Yeah, giving up emotional freedom could kill you. Native American groups address mental and behavioral health as COVID-19 wears on. And then from Good News Network, Johns Hopkins is offering free online courses in psychological first aid. Now, believe it or not, sneak preview, I'm going to connect it to Jimmy Kimmel, announces summer leave amid blackface controversy. Uh, and the UK police who said that there was a stabbing that killed three and called it a terror attack. Um, and then we'll get to uh, the rest of our headlines today. But before we get to a couple key stories, let's check in with you, the audience, and comment Jim Freedom. Any other burning hot comments today? Hey, hey, how's it going? Okay, uh, first we're going to start with our contest uh I'm going to assume this is the winner because we had Community London from uh, Islington, London, which is 5,268 miles away. But then somebody else just checked in, and I'm going to butcher their name, the I-C-H-G-U-C-K-E. I don't know if that's like another language I'm going to mispronounce, but that's his name, the I-Chuck. I from Germany, which is 5,639 miles away. So that's outstanding. All right. Thank so you if that person would go ahead and email Jim at thefreedomline.com. Thank you very much for that, Adam. Email that, and we can get you into the Producers Club, and we can get you uh, all hooked up. It will be outstanding. As far as all other right. comments, um, there was one. Where would it go? Here it is. Uh, Fedor, oh, these names, man, Shinkarenko, uh, let's tactically ask God for a Jorgensen victory. What do you think about that? <laughs> tactically? I think it's just, uh, everybody pray for a Jorgensen victory is what they're saying. Tactical prayer. Um... You know, I'm, um, I'm, I like uh, it because it drew attention to Jorgensen. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm. I, I feel like I have a huge rant at the tip of my brain about you know, faith versus works and prayer versus action. And I just want to say I'm not against prayer. I think it's uh, a, a really beautiful thing for people who do it effectively um, as a as a means of connecting with with a, a greater spirituality and 
as a meditation and connecting with their own self and more for that. And I, I think, you know, when, when, when someone says, oh, I'll pray for you, it's like, well, that's not going to help me at all. You know, and there are a lot, there are a lot of people who throw that around as, as a kind of, you know, BS manipulation of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, okay. Or it, it, and it's their way of saying, well, I can't do anything about it, so I'll ask God to do something about it. And if it's, it's like out of that helplessness, yeah, okay, I can appreciate that too. I think there's just, there are more effective ways of praying, and even in a case like this, there's, you know, a positivity that you can get out of prayer uh, in, in just saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be thinking about you. I'm going to meditate about you. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to God about you. Right? I mean, that's still like, no, you know. Uh, and if you, if you just, if, if it's just, if the person praying is going, dear God, I can't do anything about this. Please do something about it so I can go back to my life and I'll worry about it. Thank you. Now that I've done that, now I can stop worrying about it. I'm going to stop thinking about it. I'm just going to trust God and I'm going to, uh, all right. Well, no, that's bullshit. That, that's, that's a kind of escapism, uh, you know, rather, and it might be a meditation. It might have some positives to it, too. I'm not discounting it entirely. But why would you say, you know, please, God, just make this happen when you could say, please, God, show me how to make this happen, right? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's that's, a, a way more positive way of engaging with God. And, and the way that I would think of God is a way of engaging with the universe. When I meditate, you know, I, I, I hope to channel, you know, a greater positive energy through the power of meditation to achieve better outcomes, to, you know, better uh, arrange my brain to have, uh, you know, a more positive outlook or a more empowering outlook or to achieve something in particular. Like, you know, when I say, you know, dear, you know, I'm still like, if you pray, dear God, please give me the strength to make it through this crisis. You know, if, if, if you believe that your inner strength comes not from you and from God, then you're asking for, or, you know, then you're externalizing it. But if that God is in you, then then you're 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 cultivating that that resiliency and, and that strength in yourself. To make it through that crisis, and talking to God is your way of doing it, getting it from God. I mean, I could even say, in my, you know, objective religious framework of, of pantheism, well, if, if everything is God, and I say, dear God, please give me the strength to get through this, I, I'm essentially talking to myself and saying, may the God in me rise up and give me what I need to be strong through this crisis. And so, in that sense, I would say, if you're gonna, if you're gonna talk to God. About Joe Jorgensen, don't just make a request and walk away. Faith is not enough without the works to back it up. Kept it short that time. Anything else, Jim? Before Love that. Um, we need to bring CJ on here. He had a uh, internet issue of some kind. Oh, all right. Producer notes. He's asking me to Good bring him on. So, gentlemen. CJ. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I just had a crazy yes. thing happen where the entire internet went down. I have no idea, but it. I checked the stream. You guys were still talking. That's amazing. That's and, so cool. And so, so, <laughs> even if I lose my internet as the producer, I just wanted to make sure that you guys uh, in the in the comments, while I'm experiencing that technical difficulty, 
did them being connected to this stream make it so that the, it didn't get interrupted if I lost internet? That's just good for me to know. So if you could let me know in the comments, I'd appreciate it. Again, producer at freedomline.com. And again, that was just a real weird thing. It just, I mean, everything shut down. So I, I, I mean, I got a gig up and a gig down speed, so I don't know what really happened there. So just to be clear on how this works then, you set up StreamYard, and from your connection, you control StreamYard, and StreamYard sends our live feed from StreamYard to YouTube, So right? Or does it go to your computer and then out? No, it goes from StreamYard through to the thing, uh, through to the pages, but uh, I believe that you guys being in here, even if I had that kind of incident, yep, the show still goes on. So yeah. I just thought that was really interesting technical that I had to at least explore so that way I can get feedback from people. So if you guys didn't see an interruption in the show, uh, let me know in the comments, please. You know, one more thing, CJ. What would have been interesting is, especially so close to the end of the show, had you not been able to get your Internet back up, we wouldn't have had a way to end the live broadcast. We would have been stuck in live. Uh, I think you both would have just had to leave, but you wouldn't have had the cool outro for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I suppose. That's fine. Uh, let's see. There was one more comment I wanted to bring to you, Adam. It was from Bryce Boatwright while you were talking about the dollar crash and whatnot. Uh, he said, crypto all the way, all crypto too, not just Bitcoin. But then he said, minus Facebook's fake crypto system. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, well, that hasn't happened yet. I think they got that uh, shut down, fortunately. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, there was that attempt, Libra. Yeah, yeah. For a while, that Facebook was trying to get its own crypto. There are a handful of others that are obvious scams. Ob- you know, of course, there's going to be a handful. But, yeah, I, and I'm you – know, I, I, like both arguments, you're, you know, from Bitcoin maximalists and from uh, the alt pointers, but my main inclination is, you know, like open it up, you know, let there be competition in cryptos. And I think throw, throw your top time. five out there, top five cryptos in your opinion. Bitcoin, no, obviously. I'm not. Oh, I, I, so this, I would have to just huge caveat. This is like a very amateur opinion based on limited experience, not a good technical. You know, overview of the market, of course, bit, of course, Bitcoin, the original, uh, Bitcoin cash, uh, my friend Roger Ver's project, uh, in, in with Bitcoin.com. Uh, you know, Dash, I think, you know, I'm not going to say these are top five or rank. I'm just going to name a few that I like and I'm probably going to hurt some feelings with those I've left out, but, uh, you know, why I like them real quick. Um, Dash has a great community around it and a lot of very cool systems with its uh, node owner system where if, if you own a, a Dash uh, node, you get in a, a network. Um, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I don't want to try to explain stuff that it's like, oh, man, I haven't studied this in months. But, no, Dash, uh, they they, held, they were partial sponsor of the Book Bomb along with Smart Cash and Dogecoin. Well, I, with Doge, it was someone on behalf of Dogecoin who wanted to get that mentioned in the book bomb. And uh, so Smart Cash also, similar. I, I mean, what, what I'd like to see is either, you know, a great proof of value and practicality of a currency or an active, engaged community behind it or some, you know, uh, it's a, you know some combination of that. Because that's what, you know, that's what gives it, like when we talked about the, 
you know, the U.S. dollar, it's a con. It's the end of the confidence game. And, you know, I, a lot of, you know, what currency do you use? You're going to value based on how much faith and confidence other people have in it. And all of these cryptocurrencies depend on the stability of their networks and their user bases and the demand in order to maintain their value. So when I see a community around a currency, you know, I'm much more inclined uh, to support it. Now, Steam, it's one where some people have called it a fraud and or a pump and dump. And, you know, I was very involved in Steam it in the past. CJ's got, we got to get CJ looking into that to see if we're going to be making money, uh, you know, posting our videos just there from, from D2. But um, I should write that down. There, you know, there, and oh, and BitChute, you know, so like with, with, with Steemit, there was a huge community around it, but it was around the social network and posting and taking money out of the system and making money from it rather than, oh, we want to use this as a currency because it's a cool other currency. So BitChute, you know, another sustainable community around that. Um, I haven't looked at any of these for a while. You know, I, I, we really should be covering more crypto news. It's one one of the stories we're not going to get to today because we don't have time. We just got a couple two two quick ones I got to cover that are timely, but we will have to come back tomorrow to Acon City, six billion dollar cryptocurrency city set to begin construction. But before we get to the last comments, or Jim, uh, any any comments before we get to the last two stories here? Uh, no, that was all I had for you, sir. So yeah, go ahead and take it over. All right. Just two stories that I really have to get to today to wrap things up. From TMZ.com, you know I love the gossip website. NYPD poisoned milkshakes, cop brass behind conspiracy theory, reportedly made it up. And you wonder about all these other things. Right now, we we covered the story last week, you know, that there were uh, these Three young black people in, I think it was the Atlanta area, who allegedly followed cops home and set their cruisers on fire in their driveways. And it's like, yeah, uh, well, well, they got revenge for all of the times those cops arrested them for victimless crimes, and all they did was destroy government property. They didn't even hurt anybody. Um, I, I wonder, like, if all of these uh, accusations against black activists now are lies. I mean, what do the police do? They lie. The police lie, lie, lie over and over again. They are legally protected from accountability for, them, from their for their lies. You got to know, talking to police on the street, there's nothing that says they can't lie to you legally and get away with it. They have no consequence for lying to you if it's in pursuit of their job, which might be to arrest people who are innocent for victimless crimes. NYPD brass reportedly cooked up a story about officers getting poisoned at Shake Shack because the trio of cops who complained about a funny taste in their milkshakes never even got sick. The cops in the middle of the poisoned milkshake conspiracy were not targeted by rogue police-hating Shake Shack workers, as the New York City Detectives Endowment Association would have you believe, according to the New York Post, the three officers from the Bronx were on protest duty in lower Manhattan when they ordered the shakes. Mind you, the cops used a mobile app to order the drinks, which were packaged and waiting pickups. Employees wouldn't have even known the shakes were for cops. Oh, geez, so this whole conspiracy falls apart right away, doesn't it? The worst thing that happened to the cops was reportedly a bad taste in their mouths after gorging on the shakes. 
So they tossed him and alerted a Shake Shack manager who said sorry and made good with vouchers for free food and drink, which the officers accepted. Now, this is how many times do you have just like petty abuses of power like this? You know, if the average customer goes into a business and says, "Hey, uh, the shake tasted funny," can 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 you can you give me another one? Okay, we'll get you another one. If a cop goes into that same establishment, oh shoot, yes sir, we'll get you, uh, we'll get you vouchers, coupons, more food and drink. Oh yes, we are so so sorry, sir. Please don't arrest us. Please don't. I mean, they don't have to say that because that's the subtext. Oh, please don't announce an international news story of a conspiracy that's going to really met you. Well, in this case, Shake Shack. I don't know, right? In this day and age, oh, Shake Shack is poisoning cops. I don't know. People might want to go eat there and support poisoning cops. No, no. But what does this do? This is bad for business. You know, please don't mess up our business. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of businesses just now are going to say from now on, no no police officers. You know, no, nobody nobody armed on duty here. You know, like, you know, if, and this could just be, you know, a, a simple business practice. Like, when it becomes unprofitable to let police in your establishment, and there's some places where you go, hey, cops come in, it deters crime. Okay, great. But overall... Police are the bigger criminals. And I mean, I, if, if Chaz Chop can ban cops from their little autonomous zone, why can't a business say, yeah, I'm banning cops from my business? As customers, I don't even do that now. Probably get away with it. Now, can you ban them as uh, tax collectors? Enforcements for the IRS? Uh, if only we could get to that. But can we can we start just saying, yeah, we don't, no, no police on duty at this place of business. I mean, it's a liability now. And this is, you know, I, I love watching a criminal organization eat its own tail. You know, and, and police in, in kind of a, I don't want to say death spiral. That would certainly be an exaggeration. But they're trying, what, what was this conspiracy an attempt to do? They weren't trying to tank Shake Shack. Like, they don't, they don't really care. Um, they're trying to get people to be sympathetic towards cops. They're trying to make it, oh, yeah, you have such a hard job. You go out and face, you know, a public that hates you every day is willing to poison. They're going to go so far as to poison you It's at Shake Shack. No, sorry. Made up. And so when, it's, when that's revealed, what does it do? It makes you less sympathetic to the police. At least it should. According to the report, things got hairy when the cops told their sergeant about the stakes, and the sergeant sent the emergency service unit to set up a crime scene at Shake Shack for an evidence search some two hours after the cops first said. Meanwhile, the cops were rushed to Bellevue Hospital, where they were reportedly examined and sent on their merry way without ever showing the slightest of symptoms. At the same time, a lieutenant from the Bronx fired off an email to the police unions falsely claiming six officers started started throwing up after drinking beverages they got from Shake Shack on 200 Broadway. Detectives were put on the case, but it was apparently pretty easy to solve after reviewing 
surveillance footage and interviewing five employees. The report says videos show the shakes were normally made. No poison or funny business. It would have been enough in the investigation to say, well, the drinks were ordered online. You didn't get their names or status that they were officers. You couldn't have known. Of course, you know, and uh, there's so many. But now, if someone did this to you, now the who who the heck is this? Now I'm I want this. I want your name. I want his badge. I want his guy. I want this guy. Oh, they should be fired. Who is this lieutenant from the Bronx who took the story and lied? Who does like? Who still does this? Do, do people not know that we live in the information age when there's there's a record of, well, you just lie and assume that no one's going to find out. Why does this guy still have a job? And then you go, why does this system still have any credibility? The reason for the bad taste seems to have been from a commonly used cleaning solution that wasn't thoroughly rinsed off the milkshake machine, but for some reason... The mounting evidence of a big nothing burger didn't stop the New York City Detectives Endowment Association from declaring cops were, quote, intentionally poisoned by one or more shake workers at the Shake Shack and fell ill. And the evidence or lack thereof didn't stop Police Benevolent Association President Pat Lynch from making a show of visiting the cops in the hospital at the same time his union claimed police were under attack from a toxic substance believed to be bleached. The since-deleted social media messages initially spread like wildfire, causing the burger joint to trend overnight and birthing the hashtag boycott shake shack hashtag, which is still being tweeted by accounts. I'm reminded of uh, Mark Twain. A lie can tra- travel halfway around the world while the truth is just putting on its shoes. The truth is, there was nothing to report here, except lying, duplicitous cops who are so hell-bent on their Trumpian ego defense that they carelessly savage a private business with thousands of employees supporting real families, and they're able to get away with it because of the authority of the police that they don't deserve. NYPD Chief of Detectives Rodney Harrison finally tweeted eight hours after the alleged incident that there was no criminality and it was all much ado about nothing, literally nothing zipped, not with egg on their face. The police unions eventually deleted their tweets and put out statements walking back their claims. The city council has demanded a probe into alleged inflammatory behavior by the police unions, and the NYPD says it's still reviewing the incident. I really hope that Shake Shack is is able to sue here, not that I'm, you know, any fan. I don't think I've ever even been to a Shake Shack, but now I want to go. Not because, oh, they're hurting police, because obviously they're not, uh, but because they're victims of police at this point. Am I going to suggest, yeah, uh, unboycott shake, hashtag, yeah, you know what, hashtag unboycott shake shack. There you go. You want to be a part of this, there's your hashtag. And more importantly, man, 
I, you know, cops are supposed to protect corporate interests. In this case, they may have failed in a way that will bring real accountability. Real accountability comes when the people realize that the only story to report on nationally is not that people hate the cops, but that people hate the cops for good reason. And that's all the time we have for today. The other story I wanted to get to was from nationalreview.com, but I'll just mention this now. We're going to get into this uh, more tomorrow or later this week with some other updates. Protesters attempt to create Black House Autonomous Zone near White House. Trump urges arrests. I freaking love it. This is great. And that the uh, idea of of uh, just declaring autonomous zones is spreading. You know, I know that the greatest proxy to these in modern times is the Occupy Wall Street movement. And that's actually, I mean, there's, there's a huge improvement in the left protesting, if this is, you know, what you want to call it, that they went from protesting wealth inequality to occupying a private park, Zakati, in, you know, in near Wall Street. Okay, and, and, and then are they occupying public areas around the rest of the country and, and you know, even, even around the world. There were, there were different Occupy movements. But it wasn't like, all right, we're going to protest until wealth inequality is solved. There wasn't a really sustaining thing there. But this, now these autonomous zones, I think they should be protesting until the right of every American to secede is respected, and then it's done, right? And they're all respected, and then you have all these zones, and you have localization. People are able to develop whatever community. Anyway, you've heard me talk about localization enough. So if it's connected to police brutality, Black Lives Matter, could we get to the point where that thing is sort of addressed to people's satisfaction? Do people have a vision for that being completed? I think they do. I think there are plenty of like we say we're gonna we need to uh, fix wealth inequality. Okay, why, how do you know it's fixed? Mm, mm, hard, really hard, right? Really big question. Okay, we're here to protest racial inequality with police brutality and the criminal justice system. Well, how will you know when it's achieved? Well, we'll know that it's achieved when uh, black people are treated fairly by law enforcement. When the systemic problems with the system with incarceration, black people being on paper is no longer an issue. You know, and, and we can work to, excuse me, we, well, you know, when, when qualified immunity is done, when police are held accountable, and they're like, all of these police reforms that everybody can agree on, when, when those are all done, yeah, we'll be done. So we're going to stay here until they're done. Uh, that, you know, all of these things, the, the, the big weakness that they have in common with Occupy Wall Street, so they're all prone to manipulation and infiltration and thus sabotage and misrepresentation. So you're going to see a lot more of that. There, you know, everybody on uh, the opposite side of this, all the bootlickers and nationalists, are going to want to discredit these the autonomous zone movement. Uh, maybe, maybe we can uh, we can parlay this ourselves in, in a couple weeks here with our, our Independence Day declaration for uh, the United Nations of Freedom Project and uh, Gardenia, and really make this about micronations. And say, yeah, to declare your autonomy and create something sustainable and sovereign. That's why I'm excited about this. If you didn't catch my interview with Jeff Dice yesterday about Chas Chop, I, I don't mind making fun of him for having a dumb name. 
I mean, our, the name of my sovereign nation is Gardenia, or the Garden of Freedom, or the great independent sovereign constitutional monarchy kingdom of the Garden of Freedom, sovereign, bountiful, and perpetuity. I, I, it's got a cool long title, too. Chaz Chop. All right. To the Chaz Chop Seattle starting this movement. I really appreciate that, and I hope it parlays itself into something much bigger, leading to a lot more freedom for the American people. We're definitely going to be staying on those stories. That being said, if Jim and CJ don't have anything else to wrap things up, oh, we do? The Freedom Line. Don't forget to go to thefreedomline.com. If you want to read ahead for tomorrow's section on emotional freedom, by the way, the, the reason I skimmed through all those stories is I want more. I want. I think that the narrative about emotional freedom is not complete with a little more uh, survey of the general state of American mental health today. So if someone wants to help me out with that and the research and the producers group, will be asking for that again. Don't mind letting yeah, – again, I, I have this weird habit. I feel really well organized with the, the show now, but I just I, – I, I, all the stories that aren't immediately timely, that I'm like, you got to know this today. I, I like being able to develop them and, and uh, you know, let them sit as open tabs for a while. You see my browser, uh, Total Tabaholic. All right, CJ, get that back up one more time here. Patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. If you want to get involved with the show as one of our good, better, or even one of our best patrons to get access to backstage you can watch this show through StreamYard. You can comment on the stream directly and be first in line for when we start taking regular callers on the show. And really, if anybody who's in the backstage area now ever wanted to weigh in, they're more than welcome to send CJ a message. I got something to say about this. Get me on screen. We take care of our patrons here. All right, with that being said, peace and love. Y'all choose happiness. Be excellent to each other. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.